Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using Grow CFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO show. And I've got a returning guest, Susanna Serrano-Davy. Now, I'm thoroughly looking forward to this because Susanna and I always, always have a really good conversation. And today we're going to be talking about facing our fears. So, Susanna, facing our fears, what's this all about? Hello, Kevin. I couldn't wait to get back here talking to you today. So thank you for inviting me. So what I want to throw out there for you and people who may be listening is, what if I told you that fear is a synonym of opportunity? So fear is the synonym of opportunity. Well, you mentioned that before we started recording. And you asked if I'd frozen because I just stopped and started thinking. So, yeah, they're not two things that I'd normally put together, Susanna. I agree. But let's think about how we can put them together by playing with the ideas. So I will ask you, Kevin, because you asked me lots of questions, but this time it's over to you and the people who are listening. Have you ever had an experience that was so bad, so traumatic for you that you said, never again, I'm just not going to go there? Now, actually, I'm struggling to think of one straight away. Okay, it might come. Don't worry. Right. I can think of situations where I've done something and then subsequently found a much easier way to do it. Okay. I'm not going down that particular route because I know where that leads and, hey, we'll do it this way instead. Okay. Yeah. Let's go for something more mundane because sometimes when we think about facing fear or fears, we tend to think about snakes or spiders. We tend to think about really extreme things. But yeah. I think what we do with our fears sometimes is I'm going to describe what I'm holding in my hand now is we have a box we all have a box yeah can you hear the noise can you hear the noise there's definitely something inside that box and inside this box is my fear right scuba diving fear of scuba diving now that's that's interesting Susanna scuba diving I'd love to have a go at that there you go so what my point is that sometimes we hide our fears in a box yeah either consciously or unconsciously and starting to work with those fears can actually unlock a lot of opportunities both in our private lives and also at work of course which is why some people are listening to this podcast today to see how can I get that CFO job so to tell you about my scuba diving which is more interesting than finance as a start much more interesting It's probably better to talk about my fear of snakes. Ten years ago, I went on a family holiday to Sharm El Sheikh. I don't know if you know Sharm El Sheikh, but it's renowned for scuba diving. Beautiful place. We went as a family with the children and we thought, okay, let's just have a go. And so that I don't make the story too long, what that led to was to an immersion, a 30-minute immersion that for me was one of the most difficult times of my entire life. I was anxious. I couldn't breathe. My eyes were like saucers. It was all like in a slow motion for me. And in my head, I was just telling myself, I can't breathe. Why am I doing this? If something happens, I can't breathe up to the surface. So at the end, when I finally got up and got out, I thought, I'm just never going to do that again. 
And for years, I've actually boasted of, I'm never going to do scuba diving again. It's just not something that I need in my life. But of course, what that meant is that because of that fear and because of the situation getting out of control, I missed the beauty of it. I didn't see the fish, the light. I just missed the whole experience, both at that time and also things that could have come afterwards. And you're probably thinking, what does this have got to do with finance and with our careers? And I think it has everything to do with it, because when we advertently or inadvertently let fear be the compass of our decision making, that holds us back. And I think at work, we often let certain fears that we'll go on to talk about hold us back in a number of ways that prevent us not only from reaching that top job that we want, but more importantly, from being happy whilst we do so. I get that. And thinking about that scuba diving example, you had a very bad experience, but the logic says that you're of a very, very minor percentage of all the people who went scuba diving that had a bad experience. Therefore, it must be quite safe, really. Actually, I have data for you. Did you know the risk of having some kind of injury in scuba diving is not 0.04%. So one in every 4,000 dives ends up in an accident. But the sad thing and the point here is that nothing happened to me. It was on my head. It was just my lack of ability to handle that particular situation that led to my bad experience and also to my reluctance to do so again in the future. And I think if we pay attention, that happens to us every day with a lot of things. Yeah, I can actually liken it. You were asking me for an example earlier, and I suppose I can liken it to my experience of going skiing. Mm -hmm. That's something I wouldn't go back and do in a hurry. Might go and watch other people do it, but I wouldn't be doing it myself. (laughs) When we listen to ourselves, I often, as you know, I do mentoring And I often, with my mentees, during the conversation, they'll make statements like, I'm just terrible at presenting, or I just wouldn't do this, or I just can't do that, or I wouldn't do that. These are the self-imposed barriers that are often fed out of our inner fears that we may not be quite so aware of. So if we take the time to spot them and understand what effect is that fear having on our performance and our experience... But more importantly, what are the opportunities that that fear is taking away from us? Then we can start to make different choices and empower ourselves to grab the opportunities rather than be almost bullied by our inner fear. Actually, taking this into the workplace, that fear of presenting, that certainly was a very real one for me for years and years and years. I would do anything possible to avoid ever presenting. Really hated the experience. Now. I don't have any problem with that. And I couldn't have a career as 20 years of management consultant without being able to present. Exactly. Back to the days before then, when I was working in ICI as a head of finance, financial controller, so on, I would hate the idea of having to present anything. I agree. In many people that I talk to, they say the same. When we do the virtual boardroom in Gross CFO, everybody is like, oh no, don't make me present. But actually, these are things that, Not only are we able to get past and get through, but if we do, they can enrich us and make us better professionals. And I think just to be clear on one point, 
I'm not saying that we can just overcome all of our fears. Sometimes we can. What I'm saying is that we can first see them, acknowledge them, and if need be, ignore them to then continue to move on. So it's not about being, oh, I'm brave, I'm fearless, I I just jump off any cliff. No, 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 no. It's not about that. I don't think it works like that. But by just acknowledging them and saying, actually, yes, I know I have a fear of presenting, but I may have a way to mitigate that fear and therefore not let it be a stopping block in my life. Yeah. And I think a lot of people start with that fear of presenting by having all of their notes written on their PowerPoint slides. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Which is something I've gradually learned not to do. Less is more. (laughs) Yes. So that brings us that example to one of the fears. So I think there are four fears. Okay, four fears. Four fears that are particularly prevalent at work, or at least they have been for me in my career. I don't know about you. When we go through them, you... I I know you gave me a sneak preview before we started recording. And I think I've probably suffered from all of them. So the last one, which is that it can be the first one, I think is the fear of ridicule. Yeah. Which is the fear of presenting. Yes. And of course, I think when you start to think about it, what happens is that that fear of ridicule blocks us in such a way that we don't let our inner self come out. Authenticity, our flair, our creativity, things that will make us memorable for others. We block it because we're just hiding behind that canvas And also it means that when we don't take the opportunities to be seen, to shine, and therefore to be noticed or be seen as someone that can be a leader or can be someone with potential in the future. Yeah. And I'm thinking of one particular example, that a particular individual who ridiculed me a lot when I decided to start a podcast. And it took a little bit of blocking that voice out because it was actually somebody I had a lot of respect for. I've learned to have less respect for that particular person since, but it did stop me and make me think, why am I doing this? It wasn't with the Grow CFO show, it was with the next 100 days. And we've now done, Graham and I, we've done 370-something episodes of the next 100 days podcast across seven years. You've got to ignore voices like that. And first of all, you've got to ignore your own voice. Because when I was talking earlier about my experience in Egypt and how I was just wrapped up in this negative loop pattern, we do that a lot. And often we're more critical of ourselves than others are of us. So I agree with you that when we receive feedback that is not encouraging, we can sometimes take it with a pinch of salt. I think there is always some value to be found in feedback, even if it's misguided. But yes, we must learn to just set it aside. But the first critic we need to learn to get under wraps is our own inner critic when it comes to the fear of ridicule, for instance. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. And I think there's a lot to be said for going with your gut on this, not overthinking it. Yes. If your gut is saying do it, it's normally the right thing to do. I agree. Yeah. So that's number one. You said Mm -hmm. there were four. Yes. Well, there may be news to you since you've never felt any of the other fears before, Kevin. Um, Oh, I I thought I said I'd felt all of them before. (laughs) (laughs) But I think a fear that is super common 
for I hope many people, no, I hope, but unfortunately for many people that may be listening, I certainly suffered from it. It's the fear of losing our job. We often come to a block because, and it's almost like having a big chain around us and we may not be assertive enough, we may not speak out enough, we may not even express our opinion confidently, we may put our values at risk before because we have a fear of losing our job. And we tend to say to ourselves, well, I've got a mortgage to pay, I have children, or I'm going to appear as if I have failed. But the reality is there is life. Even if you lose the job, let's go to the worst possible case scenario and you lose your job. There is life after that job. There will be another job. And actually, that's where I really can relate to this one. The last proper employer that I had before becoming an independent management consultant and then all the things that have happened since, I was part of the transformation team trying to turn around our own company. Mm -hmm. And it got to the stage that the strategy director that was leading the transformation program called us all in one by one, one Monday morning. And yes, the head of HR was sitting at his side and, oh, sorry, we're going to have to let you go because the situation had got to that point that whatever we did, we couldn't actually save the company. Mm-hmm. So I remember, and we all kind of knew it was coming. It was no surprise, but when it had actually happened, that's actually when the fear kicked in. What's the future hold? How's the mortgage going to get paid? Mm-hmm. Where's the next job coming from? And I know now that why on earth do they ever worry? Exactly. I mean, you don't see many years later, things actually gone wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You don't see many accountants out of the job, really. Thankfully, we're a profession that is very demanded in the workplace, that we have a specific set of skills that actually are very transferable across countries. I've worked in England and Spain and many other countries and also different industries. So we're not very founded in our fear of losing our job. And yet, why do we let it sometimes run away with that sense of sometimes hidden? We don't notice these fears. And that's what I'm trying to encourage people to do today is to almost connect with that fear that they may have that is blocking them in their path. And for me, I think losing your job is one that we've all had at some point and is quite unfounded when you stop and think about it. Mm. It's a very, very short-term fear that says, will I manage to sort things out before the money runs out? That's really what the fear is all about. Fortunately, in my case, I did, and then followed an extremely interesting 21 months. Yes, I took a a three-month contract with EDF Energy, program managing the finance transformation on two of their coal-fired power stations. 21 months later, the three-month contract ended, and I learned so much out of that experience. I never really had the intention of setting up my own business, but effectively, the, the circumstances dictated it. Mm-hmm. To be paid as an independent consultant, I had to have my own company and so on, and I just carried on thereafter. If I'd never been put in that position, I'd probably never have gone down that route. Sometimes it's important to, and if we just take it to, even when people are thinking about uh, changing companies or changing jobs, I think quite a lot of talented people hold on 
in a company or in a job for a rather long time yeah. because of that fear. And when I look at my own career and also consider other people's careers, is the people that have the courage to actually take that leap onto another role, onto another company that get further in their journey because yeah. you have to be prepared to take um, that. In that particular example I've just given you, that's one thing that I know I should have done. I should have left that organisation at least 12 months before I did. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I was actually pushed that I left. And um, it's, sometimes we do need a little push. As you know, I gave up my full-on corporate role about three years ago now. And at that time, what pushed me to do that was a health problem. And at the time, for me, giving up my CFO title and self-image that I had of myself was so hard because I'd worked for 20 years to build this professional woman that could do all these high-powered things in theory. And then suddenly I was literally naked in my room and thinking, I don't want to do this for the next 15 years of my career. And that was the fear of losing your job times, the fear of not even having an identity in a way. But yet life has found a way to help me transition into what I do today, which I thoroughly enjoy. I am so glad I took that step, a little bit pushed, as you said. I've heard a quote out there that says, One of our challenges is that we can only see life through the eyes of our past. And what that means is that we are sometimes unable to imagine something that we haven't seen and lived. And because we haven't seen it, it's not within our even remit of imagination when it comes to, for instance, career choices or lifestyles or whatever it is we choose to do. And if we let go of this fear of losing our job, not only may we find a better job, but even our life can be transformed into something different to what we're expecting. Because, for instance, a topic that I covered with one of my mentees last week was she was saying, well, if I don't make it to CFO in three years, I will have failed. And I asked, I said, it's great that you have that aim, but there's a lot more to you as a person than achieving your CFO role. And sometimes I think we focus so much on achieving what we think is right at a particular point in time that we lose track of other things that are important in our overall development and overall life experience. And it's not so bad if we lose our job or it's not so bad if we don't get to CFO. Ultimately, it's a journey. And if we're growing along the way, then we're going to have more fun rather than just be worried all the time because we might get fired or the company might shut, like in your case, Kevin. Yeah, definitely. A whole journey opened up to me as a result of that one Monday morning in John's office and saying, there's no job anymore. Yeah. Something that Graham and I have talked about on many occasions on the Next 100 Days podcast, because we often talk about people, talk to people, who have left corporate and gone and done things. Quite often it has been because of a redundancy. And if you are ever made redundant, the thing to remember is that it is your job that has been made redundant. Totally agree. A very, very big difference. If you're made redundant, it does not mean that your skills are no good, that you're not valuable. It is simply your job doesn't exist anymore. That's all it means. I agree. So we've covered two of them, Susanna. We have. 
So there must be a third one. Yes. I think we're all afraid. Shouldn't of we be mistakes. afraid of? We're afraid of making mistakes. Oh, definitely. And I think that fear is sort of founded on totally unrealistic expectations. There is no such thing as we need to be perfect at everything. It's okay to make a mistake because when we make mistakes, also if we're too worried about making them, we often hide behind us table and not ask for help when we need it or demand things from other people. And also we lack confidence when doing things and even making decisions, which is so important Mm -hmm. in our leadership journey. So I think facing and challenging fear of making mistakes is a real game changer for moving on as a leader. Don't you think there's something in the finance person's mentality in particular? Because let's face it, we put together profits, cash flows, whatever it is, and we're communicating an answer to a lot of people. We know we'll have the auditors in looking at the accounts and they'll be looking for things that are wrong, things that are mistakes. There are rules of how you treat things. For most things, there's a right way and a wrong way. So there's very much a precision to everything that we do. I think precision is the right word. And I think that gives us a difficulty in dealing with situations where we don't need to be precise. Absolutely. I think dealing with uncertainty and the grace is by far the hardest thing we have to do. But I go back to, okay, we're accountants, we need to be precise, but a 100% success rate is just not attainable. For instance, for quite a while in my career, I had outsourcing teams in India. Yes. And whoever's listening to this, surely if you have an outsourced team, you've heard it before that people tell you, oh, because they make so many mistakes and it's terrible and this and that. But the sad thing is that we make all the noise about perhaps small number of mistakes when perhaps 97% of the work is done perfectly and 3% of the work is not done right. Yes. And so what I'm trying to say is that we have to put success into context because if we're always aiming to A, know everything all of the time, be right all of the time and not make mistakes all of the time. A, we're going to fail miserably because that's simply not possible. And B, we're going to put ourselves under under such stress as we go into presenting a meeting, sending an email, because we'll be overthinking. We might reread the same report three times before it's sent. That is almost becoming like a something that slows you down as well as blocks you in your ability to get on with the job. And okay, you make a mistake, well, you fix it. You find a solution that's not so bad. And something that I've learned over the last however many years running my own business is the idea that failure is actually a good thing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of coaches will tell you to fail frequently. Mm -hmm. Fail fast and move on. Yes. That's the way you learn. I can think of my own preferred learning style, actually. I really don't like sitting in the classroom and just being given information. I don't really like watching long videos about stuff. I'd much rather get on with it and try Mm -hmm. it out and see if it works. And how do you learn? By failing. Oh, that didn't work. Okay, what have I got wrong? What do I need to do differently? And that whole process 
makes the right way of doing something actually really stick. And I did a podcast a couple of weeks ago, Susanna, with Miles Downey. Miles was talking about the best place to learn is when you're in flow. Mm-hmm. And I know that that kind of doing it and experimenting with it and working out what works is probably when I'm in flow mm-hmm. and I'm the most from it. I agree. Mm-hmm. And I think another way in which this fear of making a mistake can block us in our work and a conversation that will often come out with mentees as well is we forget we don't have to have the answer right there all the time. Mm. So sometimes uh, people will tell me always that I get a little bit tense in meetings because perhaps a client will ask me a question, that I, a technical question that I need to respond and I may not have all the information, so I need my line manager there. And I would ask, well, does your line manager have the answer to that question all the time? And they will answer, no, they don't always have it. I said, well, wait, why do you have to have it all the time? Why can't you say if you're asked a question or you're put in a situation that you can't quite respond confidently at that point? Why can't you say, I need to look into that and I will get back to you? Or Exactly. But when we are under this fear of making a mistake, that idea doesn't even crop into our minds. We just think we need to respond. We need to respond. Where in fact, mm-hmm. what we need to do is forget the fear and say, Actually, I don't have that piece of information with me right now. And it's fine. Nobody shouts out or complains. It's just the way uh, life is. But yet we put on ourselves such expectations because of our fears that are totally unreasonable, I think. Mm, Yeah. And I think the more senior you are, the greater that pressure is to, in your own mind, to have to produce the answer. Certainly it's one that I've felt a lot as a consultant you know? mm-hmm. you're working with the client because you're the expert because you're mm-hmm. there to solve some problems so you kind of automatically feel if the client asks you a question you should have an answer for them but as you just said that idea of oh let me get back to you on that is a very very viable option it is you do not need to give the answer straight away and also i think as leaders, we sometimes feel the pressure to also be strong and know it all and guide our team all the time. And that's not, we are, we're humans like they are. And sometimes we have gaps in our knowledge and it's okay to say to your team member, actually, I'm a bit rusty on this particular thing. Why don't you refresh me? And I think as you grow as well, and when you're a CFO, one of the keys to success, I think, is to have a team that complements your shortfalls really well so if you come from a commercial finance background you need a really good techie person in your team or vice versa if you come from a very technical background you may need people that have more experience in dealing with the front office and the commercial issues that might arise so it's not about knowing everything and being perfect it's about acknowledging those gaps and filling them in not with your own self but with your team that <laughs> that's what you're there to empower is your team another way of reframing things there Susanna is the question might be how do we or how do I reframe it as what's the best way to mm-hmm. okay how do I implies there's a right way and a wrong way what's the best way to implies that there are 
several possible solutions yes. to think through. I agree. I also think it's a great way of if you're putting a recommendation to the rest of the business. Don't just say, oh, we should do X because we've got a problem. It should be, we've got a problem. We can do X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. Which do you think's best? Absolutely. And that can help you enormously because, oh, we've got a problem. We should do X. There are two possible answers, yes or no. Don't really want the no answer. If you say there's X, Y, or Z, then automatically it gets people to think, well, we've got to choose one of X, Y, and Z, which are all answers to doing something about this. Mm -hmm. So that's something that really, really worth thinking about in this context. There are multiple ways of doing things. There is no right or wrong. I agree. Yeah. So, Susanna, the big fear that I thought we'd be talking about this morning, the fear that everybody seems to have, quite often won't admit it, imposter syndrome. The fear Fear of being being found out. (laughs) Yes. And we've left that one to the end, I guess, by accident, but also on purpose because... We acknowledge the imposter syndrome thing all the time. Everybody's talking about it. And whilst it's really valuable, I think the conversation is much wider than that. And of course, when we have that fear of being found out, what we end up doing is we lose confidence by the minute. It's almost like imagine you had a bag full of water with a puncture in it and it just drains, 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 drains. And this fear is very limiting and also it means that we end up just being almost punishing ourselves overworking we do not just the fear of being found out but all of them I think we often overcompensate at work because of these fears that we have as an attempt to get over them and then what we end up doing is working perhaps too many hours being tired and not being the sort of solid individuals that we can be if we're not under such stress. I think we all suffer from it, imposter syndrome. I suffer from imposter syndrome and it's okay. And to me, the the tool and the strategy to handle all of our fears, whether it's imposter syndrome or losing your job or however any of the others that we've talked about, we may have missed somebody listening might be saying, oh, I have a fear of this. There's one single strategy that works with them all. One single strategy. Come on. One single strategy. What is it? Well, shall I take you back to my scuba diving experience? We're back to scuba (laughs) diving. We're underwater. Susanna's (laughs) panicking. She's got eyes like saucers. Yeah, come on then. Yeah, a very lucky lady. And I travel a fair amount at the moment. And not scuba diving for me was almost like a blockage because I go to places that are beautiful. They're known for scuba diving. So I went to Colombia this year, only three months ago now. And we went to a place that was really nice for scuba diving. And I thought, I give it a go. Let's try again. I'm not going to tell you I wasn't nervous, Kevin. This was for you me. Petrified. It was a challenging thing, right? Yeah. So it's not that I'd left, I've forgotten about my fear. But you know, the one difference between Egypt and Colombia, and this is the strategy I think is key to all of our fears, is our internal dialogue. Because this time, as I was going through my diving, I was saying to myself, Come on, Susanna, you can do this. 
don't worry, the instructor is there to help you. Just breathe deeply. I was supporting myself throughout. And that's what I hadn't done in Egypt. And that's what many of us don't do when we're in situations in the workplace that triggered our fears. Instead of supporting ourselves, we, in a way, punish ourselves. You know what? You're going to be proud of me now, Kevin. Not only I did my scuba diving, but I actually got my PADI certificate, five days of training. Do you know that to get your PADI certificate, you need to underwater, take your glasses, take your weights, your jacket, your mouthpiece. I'm quite proud of myself. Very much. Absolutely. Well done. So I know you're off for another holiday. You told me you're off to Corsica next. Are you going to scuba dive in Corsica? I don't think so, because it's not a place that is particularly good for that. But if there was the opportunity, then I could do it. Because I now know, hand on heart, that through managing my emotions, through managing my internal dialogue and being mature rather than reacting to fear, I can achieve a lot of things in life. And it's not me. We're all able to do that. But I think sometimes... We live in such a busy world, Kevin, that we forget to pay ourselves to what's going on in our emotional world, in our head, because we're always reacting. And when we pause and just listen to ourselves, we can spot when we're in the wrong program, when we're into punishing over mode or we are worrying over mode. And we can step back and say, hang on, Susanna, take a chill pill. And change that program. That's what can really add value, I think, to our personal growth, but also to our professional development, because we can be happier. As you said earlier, you have no fear of presenting now when once day, one day you did. So I would ask people to throw questions. So whoever is listening, just ask yourself, are some of my decisions perhaps that situation that they may have thought about at the beginning that they said never again, like you skiing or perhaps deciding not to put volunteer for that presentation or deciding not to speak to the manager when they have a problem or to have a difficult conversation. Just ask yourself, is the fear behind that decision? What emotion is there when I'm thinking about this problem and making that decision? Because if it's there, you've got the fear part, but you don't have the opportunity part yet. And this is what this talk was all about. It was all about fear equals opportunity. And going back to my box, we can open it and we can take our fear out. We can look at it and just leave it in the past. Yeah, brilliant. So the fear's out the box. And, you know, we talked a little bit, the very first one we went into is the fear of ridicule. Just looping back to that, give folk one extra tip there. Think about when you're on that training course and you're being asked to do an exercise that's difficult. Your gut reaction, if you don't fancy it and you think, oh, no, I'm going to make a mess of this, is to try and avoid doing it and put yourself to the back of the queue. I'd suggest actually use the opposite strategy. In situations like that, always volunteer to go first. Yes. You know what? You probably do fine at it. And because everybody else in the room is sitting there with the same fear that you are, nobody's going to ridicule you. And then you can relax and enjoy the rest of the presentations. Yeah. 
I you make a mess of it. Well, half the room's worried about making the same mess, so they're not going to react towards you. Do a good job. You'll so, Kevin, what are, going, <laughs> what are you going to do next time you're on the slopes? That's implying that I will be on the slopes, Susanna. <laughs> well, you may find yourself there accidentally. Somebody might drag you there. <laughs> find a decent ski instructor that'll tell me, teach me how to stop. <laughs> For instance, there you go. That's the whole point. There's always a way. You just need to find yeah. it. Brilliant. Susanna, I've thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. Thank you for being this week's guest on the Grow CFO Show. Thank you. My pleasure as always, Kevin.